progressive ideas, conversations from schools, and the newest concepts in education. This is the School Leadership Podcast. Hello, and welcome to a Black History Month special. It's the School Leadership Podcast from NAHT. Laura Morris is Head of RS and Citizenship at Cedarmount Academy in Manchester with additional responsibilities for SMSC and anti-discrimination. Laura's blog, The Anti-Racist Journey of a Secondary School in Manchester, is on the Diverse Educator site at the moment and conveys a searingly honest account of the changes they've brought about since 2020. We think that Laura's philosophy and that of her school will give you ideas, save you time and best of all have a positive impact on students and teachers. NAHT's Senior Equalities Officer Natalie Arnett speaks with Laura and first gets a sense of Laura's background at the school. A year or so after I started I was given a whole school responsibility for SMSC and last year um, I had a, I started a, an associate assistant head role, sole focus of anti-discrimination. Um, my school, it's secondary, year seven to year 11. Like the breakdown of white ethnicity at our school, about a third of our students are Asian, um, largely of Pakistani heritage, about 20% of black students who largely um, African descent, but a large portion of those students have to our school from other countries in Europe first. So we've got quite a large black Italian and black Spanish um, cohort. Um, about 20% are white, again, largely white British. About 10% or so are mixed heritage. 10% uh, Gypsy Roma traveller. Got an increasing number of students who come from Afghanistan too. Quite a diverse student population then um within within your school and i suppose that kind of brings us quite uh, nicely into you wrote a blog for diverse ed um a little while ago um talking about your your anti-racist journey within your school and within that blog you you kind of talk about some of the work that you've been doing before the pandemic um to celebrate students you know such as mark and black history month um but in the blog, you talk about kind of now we're a few years on and reflecting that although you felt you were doing enough, you now feel that that actually wasn't really the case. I wonder if you could just kind of talk through that kind of how you got to that realisation and, and maybe a little bit what you mean. Um, so I guess whenever new teachers would join us from other schools and they'd say, oh, wow, like what you're doing for Black History Month is great. And we also we celebrate Asian History Month in March. And um, I know the official time the Southeast Asian heritage is like July time, which obviously doesn't really work for schools because we're not here. Um, and we recently started doing GRT history years. And so I think we kind of felt like we're definitely giving our students a, a good deal with the, the work that we were doing. Um, and like we started decolonizing the curriculum quite a few years ago, particularly on my corridor. So that's like RS and citizenship and history and geography um, and then when we returned to school after the first lockdown and obviously the the more recent Black Lives Matter mobilisation I had like an informal meeting just with year 11 students that everyone's welcome and we're just going to talk about um, like how you think we're doing and any any issues that you think that you might have had in our 
and was really kind of overwhelmed by the response of the students. They, they all had, from this group, they all had stories to tell. Um, and not necessarily loads of cases of like overt racism or that so many examples of microaggressions that they'd suffered from students and even other staff. Um, so I think before that point, you know, we had so few complaints of racism and we knew that we were doing this work and so we kind of felt like we probably were doing a good job and then having that conversation with them and that they were super honest and open and I, I guess I was surprised that I'm surprised that they hadn't come and spoken to me about this before um, but I guess we were at a point then and I think education in general is that maybe the students either they didn't there was no point them telling us because they either felt that this is normal and this is just what they have to put up with or maybe they had reported things in the past and it hadn't been adequately dealt with or maybe it had been dealt with but nobody got back to them and told them how it had been dealt with so that just really opened our eyes to how much work had to be done in our was it you that developed that meet or had that initial meeting with students and kind of fed back or was it actually a lot of staff were involved kind of at that initial point in the initial stage it was just me and that i think that like my subject is religious studies which i think lends itself more easily to anti-racist work anyway so i'd always been having conversations about race and racism in lessons and so whilst i kind of chaired the meeting it wasn't Basically, I was letting them give their accounts and I was taking notes. And when there was kind of incidents where if they were referring to something that had happened with the teacher, we kind of asked for them to be anonymised, but just so that we could have that kind of feedback from them. And how easy was it to kind of cascade that out, I suppose, to the wider staff? Because obviously that was part of the, I'm guessing, the discussion to kind of move on from what you were doing to, to what you wanted to, to do in the future, really. Of all the work that we've done over the past few years, it's probably had the biggest impact that we, I asked a few of the students who wanted to, to write down their, their experience, their stories. And then I recorded them, um, reading them out loud, but they read the story of someone else to kind of anonymise them. So it wasn't a case of, oh, this student said this about this teacher. So, you know, that they were reading each other's stories. And then I showed, played that video during a CPD session to staff. And I think before that point, you know, staff had felt the same way that I had, that, oh, we're doing a good job and, you know, we're doing a much better job than many other schools. And I think that that was, that really kind of opened people's eyes to what the issues were. I had so many staff come to see me afterwards, either saying that they recognised themselves in some of those stories and whether it was about them or not. And then other members of staff just being like, I had no idea that this was going on. So I think that was the starting point, kind of waking staff up to the reality of what the students' experience was. You talk about in your blog as well about, um, and in, in the kind of subsequent work you've done about being an, an anti-racist, you know, aiming to be an anti-racist school, anti-racist anti trust. What, what do you mean by being an anti-racist trust? What does that mean in practice? Because often there's these terms. Yeah, I guess for us, it was kind of being recognised as being anti-racist by all our stakeholders. So primarily our students, but members of staff and parents as well. That's reflected in our curriculum, making sure that we're like actively teaching anti-racism, not just in subjects like citizenship and RS, where again, like I say, it's easier for us to, to broach that in history as well. Um, 
all subject areas. Um, so in terms of like our behaviour policy, um, our exclusion rates, um, and students feeling students feeling like they can be comfortable in talking about any kind of racism or discrimination that they suffer, but that also knowing that that's going to be dealt with. You know that obviously like racism is an issue in society, and so that's going to be reflected in schools. Our end goal is where we don't have to keep doing all of this work. We don't have to keep having the same focus that our curriculum will be reflective of our, of our students. We won't need to have celebration months or that at some point, like at the moment, say in terms of how many students are reporting incidents of discrimination, it's loads. You know, in, in a way in the past where we could have like pat ourselves on the back and be like, oh, hardly any students report things. But obviously that's, you know, a greater reflection of the fact that students didn't feel like there was any point coming forward. Whereas now it's like they expect it to be dealt with. They demand for it to be dealt with. We're not at the point now where we aren't having those reports that's still happening. I guess the end goal is that those reports are so few, but not because the students are afraid to say it, but because we've educated the students enough, we've educated the staff enough that it isn't the same issue that it is now. In terms of, uh, you know, it's, it's often talked about as a journey, isn't it? And you, you kind of said about kind of having that initial discussion with students and, and then cascading that down to staff. You've shared a sort of a report outlining what you've done over the last few years uh, in, in working towards being this anti-racist school, anti-racist academy. Could you walk us through that a little bit and maybe some of the, give us some examples of the things that, you, that you've implemented and how that may be going? Yeah, so I think that the starting point after having those conversations with the students is we started an anti-racist working group with staff which now this year is like anti-discrimination that we're not just focusing on racism so having that staff group and we kind of through the student responses um, and just conversations among those members of staff who attended and you know there's probably about I don't know 20 members of staff initially who joined and we're, we're maybe around I don't know same 15 20 members of staff now and kind of looking at what our priorities were and so decided Again, based on those things, behaviour policy and that students, how they can report incidents of discrimination and how they will be dealt with. That was one of like our communication with students and whether that's completing the feedback loops for when they have reported an incident, but also making it explicit to the students the, the changes and the things that are going on with the curriculum and the behaviour policy in terms of um, exclusions, not necessarily currently exclusions, but just exclusions from Roma students not out of line with national averages, but still in comparison to it, all the students in the school is much higher. So what we could do to engage our Roma students and make them feel celebrated and supported and loved. And so that was our focuses. And so the curriculum, obviously, from the from their anti-racism working group then kind of divided up those things amongst members of staff who had a particular interest. So went away and did things. And this was before had named members of staff so this was before my um, associate SLT role there's another member of staff now who has a name who is named for dealing with anti-discrimination as well so I think that has been huge that we had those staff who were volunteering their time initially and we still rely on people to do that but that actually now that um, my colleague Ben Wilson myself, that to have two people where it's it's our job to be overseeing this that's had a huge impact just to have people who have the time to come up with the plans and then respond to any of the issues. A, a big thing that has had an impact is our um, curriculum development. So all subjects completed an audit to kind of look at what we 
offering already and what we could do in the future. So that came with lots of CPD from like external agencies. So like Kids of Colour came in and Benny Cara as well. And they delivered like CPD as Winnie Lander. Because I guess that whilst there were some staff in some departments who felt like this was, even though the work hadn't been done yet, they knew what they needed to do and which direction they wanted to go into. But some other subject areas where it feels less obvious, I don't know, like maths is a good example kind of giving those members of staff the skills to see how they could improve things. But I think, say in terms of our reporting, when it comes to incidents of discrimination, that we now have a flowchart and everyone knows how, how things can be dealt with. So just to kind of summarise, and this does take so much time, like the work that we're doing t has a takes time of pretty much everybody who works in the academy, but it's that students know that they can report an incident to any member of staff, then gets logged on as being um, under investigation. I will be notified, so will Ben, so will the heads of year and assistant heads of year and the SLT link for those year groups. And we then have, we just have group discussions on teams, who's dealing with what, who's going to take statements, do like pre-restorative work with both the victim and the perpetrator and the educational work with the perpetrator. And that often is the case, not always, but often is the case that the students don't even realise why or how what they've done is offensive or wrong. So doing that education with the students and, and preparing them for having the restorative conversation. So the vast majority of victims, pretty much always, they choose to have the restorative with the knowledge that we've already done the educational work, it's not on them, but if they want to add to that, they can do. So in terms of repeat offenders now, so minimal, there's, there's a handful of students who have been involved in incidents of discrimination, but the vast majority of them going through this process and seeing how serious it is and it often often but not always ends in a sanction and that might be a, an ordinary detention at our school five minutes but when it's due with discrimination that's doubled to a 90 minute detention that might be first instance they're, they're told this has been logged on your account if they then repeat that behavior then the sanctions increase and so one of the things that spoken to about the head with the head teacher is you know, say if there was a student who was involved in like physical violence repeatedly how the sanction would increase and result in you know even temporary exclusion for a number of days that we treat um incidents of discrimination in the same way so that is still violence and, and we, we haven't ever reached this point with a student where it's happened so many times that they need to be excluded but the students know it will continue to escalate if they are involved in that I think our, our students, it's their honesty and their willingness to be open and to work with us, you know, that we we are relying on them. They're the experts in this. They they have their experience and they know what's going on. Through the student groups, we have three different ones, year seven, then year eight and nine, and then 10 and 11. Year seven's experience and even like their racial literacy and what they're able to talk about is very different. They are year 11. So having them in those three separate groups of those meetings there are year 11s who are like our anti-discrimination ambassadors they have to apply for that role they are they're interviewed for it and the areas that they are particularly interested in so say now like it's wider than just anti-racism anti-discrimination so there'll be some students who are really concerned with lgbtq plus issues or students who are concerned with like our new arrivals and where like eal and any issues that might come that and sexism and so on, whatever the different categories. And so it's the year 11s who 
teachers who lead on those meetings and take feedback from all the students. So I'm present in those meetings just as a member of staff to be there in terms of the agenda and the discussion and everything that goes on. And it's the year 11 ambassadors who lead on that. So that combination of having staff working group, students as well, guiding us so that they can say this is an issue. So then it's up for us to then go, right, we need to find an assembly slot for this or this is an area of need for staff training or whatever, we can then go and facilitate that. What I'm kind of really hearing from you is really how central the students have been. I wonder in doing it, obviously, you know, you've talked a lot and it, it sounds like there's been a lot of willing and engagement and, and kind of you've got the school community uh, behind you, but have there been any any challenges, uh, anything that's been particularly difficult over the last few years in in getting this work kind of embedded and and growing I suppose. Yeah I think initially it was and not that staff were working against us at all but that staff not having the awareness of how much of an issue it was and so I think that the CPD has certainly helped with that and particularly those student videos and so now we have booked in anti-discrimination ambassadors they um, have a training session with staff that's actually taking place in November they're going to be the ones delivering the session on on things that they still believe are an issue. There there are definite things that have improved and have changed completely, but still where there are issues, it is again the students who are leading on that. I think the biggest thing really that is that we still find an issue is the time, the time for people to do this. And so even even having two people in in school where this is our job, and so we're freed up during form time, and our form time is like twenty five minutes. So that every day we have a 25 minute slot where the pair of us can be running educational workshops can be doing the restoratives and restoratives and so on but still relying on heads of year and assistant heads of year who also have a whole wider job to be involved in relating to progress as well as behavior and all sorts of other behavior incidents there are some incidents that are just resolved fairly quickly and it's you know easy to do there are some that are much more complex and if you think say one incident would take four days to resolve in terms of getting the statements, making sure, and if a student's absent and whatever else, and then the knock-on effect that has when there are other incidents reported. We're really fortunate that we that we do have two people who are able to do that. But even with that, the you know the, the time it takes is huge, and so I think that we have to like prioritise which are the most serious cases that we need to deal with today or we need to deal with tomorrow. And that can mean that at times there are things, and we, we're honest with the students that, you know, we have our first assembly of the year every year is an anti-discrimination assembly, reminding them how to report incidents. But every time we have this assembly, we apologise to them and say, look, you know, we're, we're trying, we promise we're really trying, but we know that there are some of you who still are failing, that we're not, we're not doing a good enough job, but that we reiterate to them all the time that if, if they've reported an incident and they haven't heard back, how it's gone on that is part of the process they are supposed to be told but actually that might come lower in the priority ranking compared to actually having to deal with an incident that's just happened that day and so sometimes things do slip through the net and feeding back but telling the students come back to us and tell us and that happens a lot you know that there will be students who will be like miss you know that thing that I reported two weeks ago and actually more often than not it has been dealt with but no one's got back to them and told them that yeah, so time, just with everything in teaching, I guess, it's the, the time that is the, the biggest barrier. Just really interested to hear what kind of feedback you've had from from students and from parents and um, the wider community around around what you're doing kind of 
hopefully quite a lot positive. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, and I think now we're at a point where there will be students who, so yes, largely super positive and definitely from the older students who say in the report, there are a few students who talk about like their experience when they were in year seven and how they just would have felt like if somebody had said something racist to them, that actually they wouldn't have done anything about it. They would have felt like, what's the point? Whereas by the time they reach year 11 and all the work that had gone on, that they were like, oh, it's just so different now. And having that confidence in, um, say for the younger students, this is the norm now. And so they're very demanding as they should be, you know, they expect this to be dealt with. And so we'll, you know, I reported this yesterday, you know, why, why hasn't anything been done about this yet? You know, and I like that. I like that there's the expectation from the students now that this is a priority. We've told you it's a priority. And so, yeah, do hold us accountable. So, yes, it, it has it has been a positive thing that like we have a um, an anti-discrimination parent group and we meet just on Zoom every half term. And the purpose of that really is to kind of to share with parents the work that is happening, also to kind of ask them for um, feedback on things that they think. And from the parents who attend that, you know, the feedback is positive. We also do um, survey yearly with the students and with the parents as well. So kind of just asking them to rate their experience and you know asking them specific questions. And it, you know, it can be anonymous, but they've got the option to put their name on there if they do want to have a conversation afterwards. So again, yeah, the, the things that we're hearing from students and from parents is really positive. Thankfully, <laughs> we're not we're not doing all of this for nothing. You know that it, it, it is recognised, but like I say, they're they're demanding they're holding us to a high standard as they should do because of that culture that's built up and, and some of the work that's kind of spread out from that around say sexism or um anti-lgbt plus have you seen that actually increase reports in other areas as well students just feel generally more confident yeah i think definitely so the the largest part about racism about homophobia by far i think one of the things that we're kind of aiming at what our next goal is, is looking at sexism and sexual harassment, sexual assault, that I think that that is, but we get next to no, like hardly any at all. And again, I don't think that's because things don't happen in school. I just think that has become the norm, just like racism and homophobia was the norm a few years ago. And this has happened a few times, but it usually is staff who make the report of like if there's been ableist comments again that's an area that I don't feel like students are skilled enough in yet through a lack of education on our part you know we're we're making our way through things but I think that yeah the report the reports for racism and homophobia they're definitely high in numbers it's not that we're congratulating ourselves that oh no sexism happens here because we don't have reports on it we know that that's our next area really that we need focus on if you were you know speaking or to, to a leader or teacher um who are keen to improve the anti-racist practice in in their school of trust but perhaps aren't sure quite where to start what what would be your kind of advice or top tips <laughs> um i'd say definitely point people who have the level of expertise and interest in doing this work so that there are people who do have that protected time to deal with it and um, speaking to the students certainly and you know if, if you do have staff who are able to kind of create the student groups, I think that is a huge thing. 
so much of the work that we've done has come from their input. Um, in terms of decolonising the curriculum, I think our starting points that we use uh, the PISA anti-racist audit tool, and that that gives really specific. It's not just a case of you ranking yourself on what you're doing. It gives you like it asks specific subject specific questions, and so then says if you're not doing this, have you considered doing this, 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 and this? You know, and gives you resources that you. Can. I think that one of the really useful things that we found across the after filling in that document, you were given time in CPD, each department, and we have now within each department a name someone who have an appraisal target that's related to initially it was to anti um, racism, but now wider anti discrimination, um, where they last year created a resource or a lesson or a topic, and we did like a carousel, a CPD carousel, where like speed dating, I guess, where there would be that main person who was ready to present and all the rest of the staff had five minutes with, they pick a department, then the bell goes and then move on to the next one so that we were able to have those conversations. So that really helps with kind of cross-curricular links and, oh yeah, we teach that. Actually, we hadn't considered putting that in there. So that really helps. I guess if you're right at the very beginning, all out for things like Black History Month, Asian History Month, GRT History Month. Um, just we have as a minimum, every single subject area has to teach one related lesson. In RS, we take the month off, particularly in, in October, where everything that we do is related to Black History Month, that's what we're doing at the moment. Um, even like every single teacher has to have a hero for that month and they have a poster, which they put on their classroom door and the beginning of every lesson talking to the students so even if say particularly for year 10 and 11 you know we've got a limited amount of time if for subjects where they can't so at key stage three they have to teach a lesson stage four they might not but their starter is talking about who their hero is if possible having the parent groups that is a really useful but even just doing student voice surveys and even if you start off with that being anonymous to get the student trust and um, that would be really useful I think universities, there's always people who want to come in and talk to the students and that doesn't necessarily have people who come into our school, they aren't necessarily talking about black history. It might be a science teacher who is black, who just comes in to deliver a lesson on their area of expertise. I, I guess the, the best advice I would give is that I think that when we started this work years ago, was that it felt utterly overwhelming and it was like, how will we ever, how are we ever going to achieve all these things that we need to achieve? There's so much to be done. But I think just you start the work and even if year one, these are the things that we want to achieve. So year one, we want to make sure Black History Month, Asian History Month and GRT History Month are great. That's what you start off with. And then at the wider curriculum, then looking at like your behaviour policy. So I think it's just trying to, having a list of what you want to achieve, but also accepting it's going to take you three years, five years, ten years to, to get through all the things. Our thanks to Laura Morris talking to NEHT's Natalie Arnett. The place to hear from leading educational thinkers and policymakers. Just to add that you can now see the NEHT blog on commitments for action on equality, diversity and inclusion in education at diverseeducators.co.uk. Diverseeducators.co.uk. 
And thank you for listening to the School Leadership Podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and Radio Public are the main apps where you can subscribe to the podcast, meaning that you pick up every episode automatically. You don't need to do a thing. Please take a moment, if you will, to review and rate us. Feedback is always incredibly useful. NAHT is a professional association and union for school leaders. To discover more about the benefits of being an NAHT member, go online to naht.org.uk forward slash join. And on social media, our Twitter account is at NAHT News. We'll catch up with you in a month's time. Take care.